heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today for another week. It's the 14th of November. A Monday morning and a very good morning to everybody listening to us across the network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. So much to get through on this busy Monday morning. David Littleproud will join us. We'll catch up with Barb Mann, who is the Australian Lot Feeders Association President and we'll also talk with the CEO of the Corpie Shire Council, Justin Hancock. The Wallabies, well, they were dreadful against uh, the Italy side to lose another test match. We saw England win the World Cup and the big thing was that Samoa beat England in the Rugby League World Cup. So we will see an Australian-Samoa grand final uh, next weekend. So much to like about that with sport as we get back underway. The cricket is back here in Australia as well. We've got lots going on. The poor people at Chinchilla are in the headlights for all the wrong reasons with a leaked document now proving that there has been traces of some toxicity in their water from the coal seam gas industry and that company who has no longer exists, Link Energy. Let's talk to David Littleproud. He joins us next. And hopefully he can shed some light on this situation for us this morning. Rural Queensland today, you're with Ben Dobbin. It's Monday morning, the 14th of November. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Uh, leader of the National Party is David Littleproud. He joins us this morning. David, good morning and thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Mate, you grew up in a little town called Chinchilla and it is now in the headlines uh, for all the wrong reasons. A report has now been leaked that shows that the toxicity in the water levels from the failed company Link Energy uh, has now been affecting uh, bores and there is traces of some absolute, I think, arsenic. I, 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 I saw that. Uh, there is a lot of a lot of worry at the moment with obviously the gas wells and the water now for the town of Chinchilla and Hopelands and surrounding areas. Yeah, look, uh, obviously this is concerning. We've got to put it into context that it's very small trace elements of, uh, of those those elements, but it is something that the Queensland government needs to be transparent on. Gone through this some years ago. In fact, there was a report uh, that had never been published but was leaked uh, to the ABC that they, uh, that they wrote about uh, 10 years ago uh, that caused a lot of distress in that community. And people and the farmers out there simply want answers. They want honesty. They want truth. They want to know that the regulator, who is the Queensland government, is doing all they should be to ensure that water qualities are measured. And if there is rehabilitation work that needs to take place, it's happening. But if you have this shroud of secrecy that's been broken by a whistleblower who's leaked the report to the Australian newspaper, you've got to you've got to understand that these farmers are quite rightfully saying, "Well, what else haven't we been told?" Uh, and this is where governments need to bring people into their trust. Uh, and if you are open and transparent with them, then they'll respond and they'll understand. But when you when you actually have these reports come out in the media, it builds distrust, and it says that now that there's a mea culpa, the environment is saying, "Oh well, sorry, we, we should have it should have been out." Well, it's not good enough. Uh, these people have been through a lot. Uh, their lives were disrupted when gas came and. The gas industry's fixed itself up, those that have remained, but 
uh, they need answers, they need certainty, otherwise you add to the anxiety. So can I ask you, why is it that, that we're at this point? What, what, what is it that, that we're at this point that we aren't being told this? We always knew that there were some concerns around the coal seam gas industry and where it sat. I don't think anybody has disagreed with that. But, you know, they can work hand in hand, but they need to be transparent. And, that's, and, and that seems to be what we're not getting. Exactly. And, and I think what's exacerbated this is that Link no longer exists. Um, it's only really the big players out there now that, that exist. Uh, and you know, this is where government does need to step in. When you've got a company that's defunct, uh, it's gone, then that's when the anxiety lifts even more because uh, th- there's no one there to rehabilitate, to ensure that make good provisions have been undertaken. So when the government basically goes quiet, it, it creates even more anxiety. And I would suspect the gas companies that are left there are pretty upset about this as well because obviously this adds to the anxiety about the gas industry in totality. So, you know, the, the Queensland government has nowhere to go on this. They should have been transparent because the company's no longer there. It was their responsibility to be open and transparent with these farmers. And they, they now deserve all the answers, all the information, and, and to understand exactly what the regulatory framework looks like from the Queensland government who are responsible for this. So they need to provide that to them and provide that to those farmers very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, are you getting are you getting involved in this? Do you get briefed on this kind of stuff or is it very much just asking questions of the government? Yeah, it's, it's because it's a state issue. It, it doesn't really feel in, fall into my remit. But I have had some constituents there that we've been working with uh, behind the scenes and asking questions of the Queensland government, particularly about that original report uh, that was never tabled, that was never published, but was leaked to the ABC that trashed the reputation of the Chinchilla district and, and the agricultural product that was there. Yeah. Uh, and then the report was never was never tabled. So this is the shroud of secrecy that just uh, really creates the anxiety. And, and I can tell you there's anxiety in that community. We've been working with them because I know them personally. In fact, I grew up with them. Um, as a kid, and know many of not only the ones that are there now who were in my uh, school years at Chinchilla, but also their parents. Uh, so we're working respectfully with them, but getting answers out of the Queensland government is not easy. And when you can't get them easily, that adds to the anxiety and, and the shroud of secrecy that the Queensland government seems to put around this when they are responsible for this now that Link are no longer there. I found the most disappointing thing that I've seen in some time is the buyback from Tanya Plizabasek, um uh, of water, um, yet they have cut all the infrastructure and dam building. I mean, this ideology just shows that they do not care. Um, they actually don't want, and I mean that they do not want uh, a long-term solution for water in this state because it's almost hypocritical what's going on. Mate, there is a visceral hate for Regional Australia and the architect of this nasty policy, and it is really nasty, is Tanya Plebiset. So what she's what she's doing is she wants to, to walk away from the basin plan and completing the last 20% of it with building infrastructure so that you return water to the environment. Instead, she now wants to go back to buybacks which all well and good for farmers. They get their money and they go up to the coast. But it's the towns that are left behind, you know, the local machinery dealer, the local irrigation shop, the agronomist, they all miss out because there's, there's no one, there's no production. And so what she's going to do is to pay for all this, to pay for these buybacks, she's, she's taken away our future. So she, not only has she 
uh, opened up a really, really sore wound in, in the basin communities about more buybacks that will see their towns decimated. To pay for it, she's been so nasty and so does Anthony Albanese in saying that they'll use the money, the $4.6 billion that's been ripped out of Queensland dams to be put in to pay for these water buybacks. So not only have they destroyed our future, they took away our future and hope of the future with dams and water infrastructure, whether that be Hell's Gate, Urana, uh, Emu Swamp, I mean, they're all gone. And, you know, these are the tools that we need to pay the bills. And instead, not only are they doing a payback to regional Australia, but they, they took some of the infrastructure money and put it into a rail line around Melbourne that hasn't even got a business case on it. Yeah. So Tanya Plebisek is, is just, this is just the nastiest thing I've ever seen. Uh, and, you know, Anthony Albanese uh, has, has got to step in here. He's got to take over from Tanya Plebisek. She doesn't understand the basin plan. 80% is complete. The last 20% is just to build the infrastructure. And if you don't do that, then they're going to be coming not just in New South Wales and Victoria, they're coming to Queensland for water buybacks too. So just be just be mindful. Think this isn't a southern problem. This is all our problems. Uh, but then when you get into North North Australia, who haven't had the ability to, to develop their water sustainably, and they have their future ripped away to pay for this madness, um, just goes to show that regional rural Australia is not on their is not on their list of, of of necessity, and we're paying a pretty big price for it, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt a lot of people. David Littleproud joins us this morning. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's Monday morning, the 14th of November. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Our guest this morning, David Littleproud. There's a lot of flooding around, mate, in New South Wales, and the damage has been extensive. We've all had our turn here. Um, Obviously, no doubt you're going to be looking around this, doing a a fair bit of this, spending a bit of time. Uh, are Are you concerned about New South Wales at the moment regionally? Yeah, look, I think a lot of their wheat's going to be in a fair bit of trouble at swimming, uh, unfortunately, and they were great crops. It reminds me of 2011. You know, we had some of the best crops ever and we just watched them and we watched them fall over and we just couldn't get to them. So this is this is really where I, I'm fearing New South Wales. i got to say it was great to be in Gundy on the weekend so you saw Heather's actually moving in paddocks, so that's good for Queensland. But New South Wales is, um, is really a basket case and it's still raining. And so this is the problem we've got, and these farmers are going to need support. I've written to the to the treasurer to ask him uh, to to not only in the support of the seventy five thousand dollars for farmers to help them um, replant and restock, but to make that non taxable. Uh, and because we did that in the bushfires and the floods in Lismore, and so it shouldn't go on their taxable income because it's going to it's going to be a big bellyache for these guys, and they're going to need a bit of a helping hand. I've also asked the treasurer to, to think about just removing the need to do bazes for uh, for their GST returns for for a little while to let people just focus on the recovery rather than on putting in a baz return. So I'm heading back south today uh, and tomorrow uh, to go and uh, see some of these affected areas and then right down into Victoria. But um, there's going to be a big cost to this, but we've got to support uh, these farmers getting to get through it. They've had a couple of good years down there, which has built uh, a fair bit of resilience for them uh, financially. But this is a big hit when you when you think about what the input costs are at the moment on on agricultural products. It's it's huge, and you're going to get nothing. It's a big outlay to get nothing uh, this year, and that was one of the risks uh, that everyone could see when they planted this year. But sadly, for some, it's come to fruition. Yeah, you're dead right, and that's a big thing. Uh, Queensland's next chief entrepreneur, um, Gundawindi's uh, Julia Spicer, OAM, has been appointed 
Uh, is this a good pick? Yeah, she she's a legend, Julia, uh, and been in not only the business community in Gundawindi and, and Southwest Queensland, but uh, has been seen as somebody of the highest regard, even from people in business, businesses in Brisbane. So uh, this is about making sure that um, you prioritise winners. And it's not necessarily picking winners per se, but prioritising and making sure that we can help uh, nurture. Uh, what what are the emerging trends? And, and there's only certain sort of people can do that. I'm not one. I mean, you, you need to be built differently to be able to see the future and and how that can be shaped and how what people are doing out there can shape it. And that's the skills that Julia has. And this is a, this is a really good opportunity. She's, it's an 18 month gig, uh, and it'll it'll be a great one for her, but a great one for regional rural Australia and Queensland in particular. Uh, to showcase that, you know what, just because we live west of the divide doesn't mean we don't have good ideas. In fact, our ideas are probably better than those living in capital cities. It's just that we haven't always been given the opportunity to put them forward. And Julia's job and opportunity now will make sure that a lot of those great ideas that come from regional Queensland will get a voice and, and get an opportunity. Dave, quickly, and I appreciate your time this morning, um, COVID seems to be rearing its head. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know what to make of it. I, I'm honest with you and I'm interested – Yes, there's some cases around again, but surely we're not going to see the reaction. We're now seeing, the, the, oh, we need to work from home again. We're now seeing, I mean, we're coming to Christmas. What is going on? I mean, it's not, people have had their vaccinations. We can't shut the borders. I, I mean, you can't. You don't even have to isolate anymore legally if you're sick. I, I just don't get what the whole scaremongering is about again when I realise that people have got it. Yeah, it comes back to this good old thing called common sense. If you're crook, stay at home. It's as simple as that. And look, COVID um, continues to be, as it goes through and mutates, it becomes more transmissible but less virile. So in terms of its of its nastiness to, to humans. So we just got to learn to live with you. If you're feeling crook, just don't go. It comes back to personal responsibility. Uh, we've gone from public responsibility now back to personal responsibility. We've got to learn to live with this thing. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I get the, the pressures on hospitals that can potentially be there, but this just comes up where Australians have just got to step up and use this thing called common sense. If you crook, stay at home, and, and we don't need to over-egg this. We've gone to hell and back. Um, we've got the, the other side of it, and now's the time just to use common sense. Are we going to see any... Where, where our borders get shut again or no? It's not going to happen oh, again, look, no, Mate, uh, you would be a brave <clears throat> premier to do that, to, to shut it again. I think the trauma that, that uh, particularly for, for those south of us uh, that went through it in Victoria, I mean, uh, you know, they're still coming back from that. I think the reality is, is we've seen, and, and, this, and this virus is doing exactly what all others have in the past. It mutates, and every time it mutates, it just becomes more transmissible, but, it, but it's less severe. And that's the sort of stuff that you got to understand. It's, it's taking the trajectory it should. And we've gone from these big lockdowns and borders being shut off to now just using personal responsibility, common sense. If you're crook, stay at home. Don't go near anybody and, or, or wear a mask as well. I mean, that's just, that's just what we've all got to do. Governments can't do it, for, can't do everything for everybody. Some, some point, everyone's got to do their own little bit. And that's all we, all we have to do with this. Otherwise, you know, you, you get this over, uh, overact. Of, uh, of governments coming in and trying to, to mandate for the, for the greater good rather than personal responsibility. And I just think we need to take cold share on this and use some common sense. Yeah, well said. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you a lot to cover. Really appreciate your time. 
Thanks for having me, mate. Good on you. We'll take a break. Come back with more. David Little Proud. It is Monday morning, the 14th of November. You're listening with Ben Dobbin across the Resonate Broadcast Network on Rural Queensland today. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Monday morning, the 14th of November on Rural Queensland today. Our next guest is the Australian Lot Feeders Association President, Barb Madden. She joins us this morning. Barb, good morning and thanks so much for being with us. Thanks very much, Dobbo. It's always a pleasure. Um, Latest numbers of feedlot uh, survey results have been released by the, uh, obviously, yourself and MLA and Meat and Livestock. They demonstrate the performance in the sector, but numbers certainly down at the moment. Uh, At this stage, recorded for September, the September 2022 quarter, 1,056,056 cattle on feed. Down by about 140,000 roughly, but that's not to be you know, unexpected. I would have thought that that was always going to happen with the climate, the way grain prices are and some of the other factors that are contributing at the moment. Yes, look, Dobbo, we're we're facing some significant headwinds and we probably have been for the last, you know, six or 12 months. So, um, you know, it's the weather, it's transport and logistics issues. We've got high grain prices, high cattle prices uh, and with the wet weather, availability of cattle, Obviously, there's plenty of grass around, so producers are looking to hold on to cattle a bit longer. So, yes, we've got some serious um, headwinds facing us at the moment. But as I always say, lot feed is a resilient bunch. So, um, you know, it's it's not an area we haven't been in before. So it's about tightening belts where we can, understanding what our input costs are and managing as best we can. I don't want to in any way be um, negative because the worst thing you can ever do – um, is is trying and, and talk an industry down. But it, the feedlotting industry is so pivotal to the Australian agricultural sector. I mean, I, yes, we've got a great season at the moment. Yes, um, you know, there's some, a lot of grass around. But it was only 18 months ago, two years ago, that without the feedlotting industry, you know, the nation was broken. So we can't see feedlots go backwards. I mean, I understand I, – I understand – the, the cost, but there's got to be another way. Um, now, the easy way is to say, well, people have got to pay more money for their beef, but have the government at all looked at it? Look, are they prepared to underpin some of it? Because because of the importance of the feedlotting industry to to where we are on the global stage with our product. Look, and I think you, your last point is really valid there. We've got strong global demand. So, and that is, you know, all the forecasts with MLA are saying, you know, Australian grain-fed beef um, is going is, is, is in hot demand. So, particularly with the, the drought in the US, the cattle supplies are going to be tight coming from, from that sector because they're slaughtering a lot of their, you know, high percentage of their female herds. So, Australia is really positioned very well globally to be able to fill that um, that strong demand. And look, yes, we're facing some headwinds, but you'll see that the turnoff from the grain-fed beef sector was, you know, above the quarter before. So I think we're proving that the grain-fed sector is a pivotal part of the beef supply chain. We are facing some significant challenges this year. And, and so that's, and coming off the back of COVID, obviously, which everybody has, you know, we're just hopeful these 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 um, headwinds will settle down, um, and you know, into FY twenty three, we'll start to see you know trading conditions ease, and hopefully, a few of the more positive margins will return. And and I'll just also say, the feedlot sector does see 
great potential. Um, our feedlot capacity has increased, which means people are going out building more pen space up to 1.5 million. So there is some optimism within the feedlot industry. We are facing some headwinds at the moment, but you know, I believe we will, you know, we'll work through them and we'll come out of the at the other end, you know, ready to take advantage once that, that the trading conditions do turn. It is frustrating though because it seems like it's one thing or another. There's not enough water. There's not, a, and then when there is, <laughs> then, yeah, 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 I understand that, Bar. But I mean, you guys seem to be the the ones in the headlights all the time. Grain job looks like it might come back a fraction now. If they can get some harvest, some the harvest through, but it's not going to come back twenty, thirty percent. You don't want it to either. There's obviously a fine line. Is energy your biggest? The energy crisis and power, or is that a huge, huge factor? That, that is obviously having some real, real effect on cost with fuel as well. Oh, look, absolutely. We're all looking at um, our energy contracts at the moment. Diesel prices are at record highs. You know, we, we are a sector that does use, um, you know, power and fuel. So I know for us, for example, we've got two solar array farms at both of our feedlots and we're looking to increase those. So I think most of the feedlot sector are looking at alternatives to how can we reduce those input costs um, but still have a, a secure energy supply. I think that is the critical point too. So it's one thing to research renewables, but you need to make sure that that supply is consistent. So um, look, uh, and look, the harvest, I mean, we, we're just waiting for it to dry out, you know, so that we can get harvesters on the ground and start, you know, cracking into what would have been just an absolute cracking um, crop Hopefully there's more rain forecast for this week. It just doesn't seem to stop raining. But as I said four years ago, we'd never thought it would rain again. So I think it's just part of what we do, which is just this amazing – we are just this amazing group of people who can we, – we get this stuff thrown at us, but we tend to you know work out how to get ourselves around it and still remain sustainable and in business and with a cheery – smile but let's hope that it does stop raining and we can get some harvesters onto the ground and get some of this great crop off yeah that's a huge thing biggest challenge at the moment what what are you facing what's in your eyes what's the biggest challenge look i just really it just needs to stop raining um we really need it to just dry out a little so that we can get some harvest off um you know we've had some logistics issues with getting um fodder out of new south wales i've heard some of the the guys struggling in there. And you know the big thing actually, Dobbo, and it's something that probably people aren't talking about is our road infrastructure. Oh. You should see some of the potholes getting around, particularly on that new um, highway down in the New England. Um, yeah, the government is really going to have to prioritise road infrastructure uh, following these floods because it's really quite bad in some of these areas. And, and I'm hearing from some um, producers they, they've just been cut off. They just can't get out. So um, very significant infrastructure, road infrastructure damage following these floods. So, and, it, and they're the lifeblood of our rural communities, these roads. So um, really right. hope, yeah, we need to be lobbying state and federal government to make sure that, that roads are um, prioritised. Unreal. Great to chat. I know you're busy. Barb Madden, Australian Lot Feeders Association President. Um, Thank you so much for being with us. The numbers are down, uh, not by much, 11% here in Queensland at the moment. Um, and look, that that's always going to be a factor. 
but everything needs to happen. We need to obviously make sure that our feedlot's also profitable like everybody else because of where they fit in the whole role and the supply chain role uh, to produce the best beef in the world that can go globally. Thanks so much for being with us, Barb, and we'll catch up again. Have an enjoyable Monday. Appreciate your support, Dobbo. Thanks very much. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland today. Back to rural Queensland today. Justin Hancock, the Corpyshire CEO, joins us this morning. And uh, obviously, a year up for creating global interest with the new homeowner grant to build to try and build new homes. The Corpyshire Council has confirmed they will continue offering the grant and revealing plans to offer more house and land housing and land in the outback region. Justin, good morning. How are you, mate? Yeah, good dollar. How are you? All right. Um, this is obviously. When you started this plan and, and, and initiated this a year and a half, two years ago, I don't think anybody realised just the amount of exposure you'd get and just how encouraging it was. I mean, blocks of land uh, sold and then next thing you guys created a grant. Well, it, it has just been absolutely phenomenal for your town. Yeah, it's been great to see. Obviously, uh, council sales have managed to sell seven blocks in the past. 12 months and it's really ignited the private market as well, seeing many private blocks go up for sale and, you know, uh, Quilpie, much like the rest of Queensland, has the problem now where there's essentially, you know, no rentals available, um, no houses for sale um, through our real estate because as soon as they're put on the market, they're snapped up. So I guess it's a good problem to have, but it's one that we still need to work on to improve. So what are you guys doing? I mean, you want your town to grow. And you've got to try and sell some blocks of land. So you're offering this at the moment. Um, but if anybody goes there, there's no houses available. So that's the big thing, isn't it? How, how, do, you, how do you go from there once there has been, you know, some availability to buy houses, but you've got to be able to provide rentals. Are you potentially looking at doing that yourself as a council? Yeah, so council does provide houses at the moment for our staff and also for some service agencies. So in the past 12 months, We've constructed three new houses. We've uh, just signed up to have four more built by June next year. Um, and we're also working on a new townhouse subdivision. Um, the first stage of that will see six, um, two and three bedroom townhouses built, but potentially up to 30 as well. So we're obviously investing in the community heavily as well, but to keep up with the demand, we're needing a bit of investment through the private private market as well. So uh, obviously when you did this last year, people came out of the woodwork to, to look at it. It made, you know, huge waves and, and a lot of people knew what was going on. Now you are in this position, you'd hope that some people would move move out there. It was so successful. Year seven blocks, four happened during the original campaign. Now, do you, do you think that there will be more people wanting to buy in and come into it? Yeah, we're still getting interest every week. We're still getting phone calls about it. Uh, it hasn't stopped over the past 12 months. Obviously, that initial influx was a bit overwhelming, you'd say, at first. It's far exceeded our expectations, but we're still seeing that flow through now today to people still checking in each week to see if that offer's still available because people are still considering their options and potentially, you know, taking up that opportunity. So what, 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 what are we looking for now and, and, and what's the grant that you guys are offering? Yeah, so the grant's um, a 5% return on the construction price, and that's capped at $12,500. So, you know, there's blocks of land for sale for twenty dollars $25,000 for 1,000 square metres at the moment. So, you know, you put a house on that, potentially get up to 12500 back. That almost covers at least half the land costs right there. So, you know, it's a good return. Um, and 
essentially at the end of the day, we're just, you know, trying to encourage with all the other state and federal grants that are out there for people to build houses that we just want to do add on top of that and provide even more support for people to get into the market. Yeah, and that's the big thing, isn't it? You know, it's just trying to provide some support. Moving forward, um, obviously there's a lot there's a lot to like, but I mean, your town's buoyed. I mean, there's 800 people there. The population is certainly growing. Yeah, no, most definitely. You know, we're a quite a young town. Our average age is 39. Lots of young families in town. We've got 10, 10 newborns due by March next year, which is unheard of, and we're seeing the next generation come through. Uh, we've got about 85 kids under the age of five at the moment, so that means, you know, you need a strong childcare, you need a strong school system, and obviously all the other services like your hospital staff as well that need to provide the support for that. So, you know, we certainly are seeing a resurgence and the population come back in Western Queensland, and particularly Quilpie. So, you know, there's a, there's a, strong, um, there's a strong community sentiment there and people really uh, love calling Quilpie their home. And they're encouraging everyone to move out there. So it's great to see so many young families really supporting the region and settling down there long term. Uh, 85 kids under five, you, you talk about schooling and infrastructure. Have you got that? Is, is it good enough? Yeah, most definitely. We've got um, obviously private education and state education there. So we've got over 100 kids enrolled between the two schools at the moment. We've also got a small school in Aramanga, which is about an hour away. It has about eight kids in school there. So, you know, there's definitely the infrastructure there. Um, but obviously, you know, with the influx that we're seeing, uh, it's something we have to keep a close eye on as well as to make sure that we can cater for such a such an increase in our in our um, city, so in our town. So it's great to see it's a, it's a welcome challenge at the end of the day and it's something that we, you know, hope to see continue to grow. Health's an issue, mate. It's everywhere. Have you guys got the same challenges? Yeah, obviously, uh, the, the issue with securing permanent doctors is a huge issue. We have um, more of a local system where we have fly-in, fly-out doctors, but even securing that on a regular basis has been an issue. Um, we have a great health, uh, great hospital there and um, great staff and nursing staff, and we're very appreciative of the people that we do have. But now across the board, I think it's a bit of a struggle at the moment being able to make sure that there's enough doctors in place um, for all of our regional hospitals. So now that you've increased this um, this grant, how do people go about trying to, to secure it? What's the process? Who do they talk to? How does it work? Yeah, so all of the uh, funding information is available on our website, which is quilpie.qld.gov.au, or obviously they can call up our office for us for more information, and one of our customer service officers can definitely help send that through. So. Uh, we're still, you know, welcoming phone calls and having conversations with people as they have questions about the town and what's on offer. Obviously, we're happy to have a chat any time. And that's the thing, isn't it? You know, like you think a lot about it. There is a lot of opportunity um, to, to for people. And people listening to us who are rurally focused, um, there's nothing wrong with being able to invest if you want. Like, you know, like it's a good investment and it's underpinned by a council that you guys are wanting people, uh, private enterprise, to actually invest there to try and create more houses. Yeah, so we obviously believe in our community and, you know, like they were saying, you put your money where your mouth is, so council are backing it up with the financial incentive to have uh, people invest in our region and invest in our community and yeah, it's something that we look forward to commit to for at least the next 12 months and hopefully longer into the future. Population-wise, where would you like to see Quilpie get to? So we have a target to get back to a thousand. We call it Q one thousand. That's our target. Um, 
talking to long-term residents and business owners, when the population, the shy was around that thousand population mark, it was really humming it supports all the small businesses. We've seen a lot of great small businesses uh, operate in Coopie for many, many years. We've had a few new ones open up over the past few years, including like coffee shop and so forth. So there's plenty of opportunities there, but with that bit of increase in uh, population, it will support you know more small businesses to operate and become financially viable. So that's our target. Yeah, dead right. And you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, people can go on to the Corby Shire Council and have a look and, and, and then follow all the links. CEO Justin Hancock, I appreciate your time this morning. Cheers, thanks, Dubbo. Good on you. We'll take a break. They're doing great things. Come back with more. This is Rural Queensland today. Well, that's Monday done and done. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Ray Hadley joins you next. Have a great day, Queensland. And I'll be back tomorrow morning from 9 o'clock. Remember when the wheat is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Spotify is where you catch up if you want the podcast to download. And obviously, you can get it at any time during the course of the day. Have a great day and stay safe on the roads. Till next time, from all the team here, it's bye for now.